Good morning. First of all, I want everyone to understand what I was referring to at the uh, end of my class yesterday. I mentioned the word unity a few times, and I was referring to unity or oneness of mind, oneness of faith in the individual ecclesias of the unamended community. My remarks did not have anything to do with reunion between the amended and unamended communities. And my final sentence was, or what I meant to say was this. And uh, let me add this. Uh, there's fine brothers at the Ecclesia I-10. They could get along just perfectly without me. But it, it is my choice to assist these brothers with whatever abilities that I have in maintaining the one faith which is embodied in the principles of the unamended statement of faith. Uh, it just seems to me that there's more and more issues that the unamended community is agreeing to disagree about. There's just too many of them. It's a little different from the the overhead I had up yesterday. A little different. I'm going to ask a question, and it's not only uh, for the young, but it's uh, for the it's for everybody, everybody in here. Uh, Do you know why or for what reason do you tend an unamended ecclesia? Why do you come to an unamended Bible school? And I'm talking to you older ones too. Is it because uh, is it because your mom and dad did and you know that they loved you and they were uh, like uh, Brother Brother Tom was talking about. They they brought you up correctly in the way of the Lord. Is that why you tend attend? Well, that brothers and sisters and friends of the truth is not enough. You need to know why. You don't need to be coming just because mom and dad did or do. Mom and dad may have passed on. You need to understand what. You need to know and you need to believe. You need to believe what you know. Now, 
that right there is the broad way, that's the rendition, my rendition of the broad way that leadeth to what? Destruction. Now, there's principles that we hold fast to that separate us from all these individuals out here. There's principles. Do you know them? Do you believe them? Are you just uh, like a robot? That's not acceptable. There's, reason, there's reasons that should be the basis of your choice for being here. And you need to know them. Brother David, in his class, he's presenting the principles we hold true regarding death and resurrection. Is it anything that the individuals on the is is there is it anything close to what the individuals of the broad way believe? No, it's not. It's different. It's not the same. What about the nature of man? What about the nature of Christ? What about the blood? What about the shed blood of Jesus Christ? Is there any difference in what we hold in regard to the blood of Christ and these people that are on the way to destruction? The reasons why I have an article here. I've spent, I had it for quite a while, and I, and I look at it quite often. It's the title of it is the demise of unamendedism as an intellectually honest ideology. I'm going to read one sentence here. If you read the Bible without the unamended preconceptions, if you seriously look at the Christadelphian history outside of the filters that some unamended brethren put upon it, and with intellectual honesty, unamended ideas of doctrine and Christadelphian history cannot be maintained. This was written by a brother that at one time was in our fellowship. <clears throat> he attended the Monroe Ecclesia in Louisiana. He used to attend the uh, Bible school. And um, there's a brother that he works with who also left our fellowship that uh, he attended the Arkansas Bible School. He used to be in my classes. He was a friend of my son. My friend, too. They also put uh, a pamphlet called Advocatism Exposed. And 
I had read this two times, and I was reading it a third time when I was asked to do this class. And after spending all this time, uh, and it is a difficult study, I still believe that there is the opportunity of eternal life by adhering to the precepts that's being presented here this week, especially Brother Dave's class, and I'm sure in the young people in the children's class. I haven't been over there. I don't know. I haven't seen an outline of what's being presented, but I'm positive it's the precepts of the unamended community. And there's some other brothers that that believe that the precepts that we hold to be true can accomplish eternal life for those that follow them. And that's the brothers that uh, put out the Christadelphian Advocate. And this is a special issue they put out in March of 2006. I'm going to read just a sentence or two about what they said. March 2006. In the year 1900, while on a visit to England and Wales, Brother Thomas Williams wrote a rallying point in response to the divided state of the Britain of the brethren of the British Isles. Brother Williams challenged the English brethren to seek peace and rally around the old Birmingham statement of faith and basis of fellowship, which he suggested be renamed the statement of faith of the Christadelphia, thus ending its connection to local names. At that time, Brother Williams commented, the brethren in America have succeeded in keeping these troubles from their shores. Now, here's a key sentence. However, much has happened to the ecclesias in America in the 105 years since Brother Williams penned his appeal. Now, just think about our community. Think about the unamended community. And if you go back in history and consider it back in the 1900s there was more ecclesias and it was much more thriving a much more thriving community than it is now one other thing on page 50 the very next page number four there's four things I'm only going to read the fourth one this is what these uh, brothers the advocates committee stated the truth 
is the bond that unites and defines us. They're talking about the unamended community. The truth is the bond that unites and defines us. If the unamended community does not rise to the occasion to teach and preserve these Bible truths with strength and unified, now that's what I was talking about yesterday, unity, oneness of mind, oneness of faith, oneness of action, unity, if the unamended community does not rise to the occasion to teach and preserve these Bible truths with strength and unified determination, they may be lost. These precepts, these principles that we hold true may be lost. And they make another statement. I've got it underlined in circles. And you ought to all write it down because these four brothers stated this. It's not Ernie Glass. It's these four, three, these four brothers. And I hold, I hold, I hold to it. No other community holds them. They stated no other community holds them. Now, I'm doing all I can possibly capable do, do to uphold these things. I hope these brothers do the same thing. If they don't, it's going to be very upsetting to me because they have sent this out to all the sub subscribers. They have set up a position and we need to uphold it. No other community holds them. Right there, number four. Now, I'm going to ask these brothers, the Advocate Committee, and myself, we believe that we are on the road less traveled. We don't believe, as some of these other brothers believe that I just read about, that we're not on that road. So I'm going to turn this picture off. We're not on that road right there. Let's turn to Luke 15. <clears throat> we'll have a little change of pace now. <clears throat> Luke 15, 11 through 32. chapter 11, and you're probably wondering, what, he, what is he coming up with now? Okay, 
You're fixed to find out. <clears throat> Luke 15, verse 11. I hope everybody's there. And he said, parables. A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to, came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, that's an important part of this right there. I have sinned against heaven, and he said, and before thee. And am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his feet, and she put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat, and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, in the field working. And he came nigh, and he came and drew nigh to the house, and he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. 
He stayed outside. That's an important part of this right there. He was angry and would not go in. <clears throat> and look what his father did. Therefore came his father out. His father came out and entreated him. And he answering said unto his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. Another important part of this scenario is here. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with who? My friend, his friend, the elder son's friend. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should be make merry and be glad. For this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. The three characters in the story all play so essential a part for the instruction Jesus had in mind that the parable could be entitled The Lost Son, The Elder Brother, or The Good Father. The traditional application first. The publicans and sinners who were listening to Jesus they were all around him at this time when he gave this parable. Were responding to the teaching of, of Jesus. These were the prodigals in this chapter, or the parable. They were sinners truly, lost and strained, but now coming back to Yahweh recognizing the folly and evil of sin, the publicans and sinners, the poor people. And they were confessing their sins. And it was right that Jesus should rejoice like the Father in the parable. You remember how happy the Father was that the Son was coming back? Well, Jesus was happy because the sinners and the publicans were coming back. While the prodigal represents the publicans and the sinners, the elder son, angry and sullen, portrays the group of murmuring Pharisees who complained about Jesus receiving the who? The outcast. The elder brother stayed at home, but his desires were the same as his brethren. And look at that uh, verse 29. Thou never gavest me a kid that I make 
that I may my that I may make that I might make Mary. I'll get it in a minute. That's too many M's there for me. <laughs> I might make Mary with my friends. The prodigal had done wrong, but recognized that he had sinned. He said that he had uh, he had uh, sinned against heaven, and that he had. Uh, done evil in, in, in the sight of his father. The elder brother, while outwardly correct, was no better than his brother because he had friends who were not welcome in his father's house. The elder brother was typical of Jesus' opponents, and they were all around him too. They weren't with the publicans and sinners, but they were there mumbling and griping and complaining about Jesus, the self-righteous Pharisees. The Father's attitude was displayed by Jesus himself. He was inviting the Pharisees as well as the sinners to repent and return to God. Isn't that something? That's a lesson there. Jesus was inviting not only those that were confessing their sins, that wanted to return, but he was also inviting those that opposed him, the Pharisees. He was inviting them to repent and change their ways. The prodigal son repented and returned to God. But we know as a class, a group of people, the Pharisees didn't. Some did, but not that group. They remained outside like the elder son did in this parable. They remained outside, for they would not go in. They would not go in, in spite of Yahweh's entreaties. Now, I want you to think about that father. And I'm sure he had uh, a wife. I want you to think about that father and mother. Their youngest son left. What did they do? They kept doing what they'd always been doing. They kept... uh, working and whatever they're, I'm sure they had a, uh, they did some kind of agricultural activities, could have been shepherds, uh, we don't know, uh, said the elder son was working in the fields. They kept doing as they always had been, and they kept doing something else too, I'm quite sure. They kept worship, worshiping Yahweh as they were supposed to. Brothers and sisters, many of the sons and daughters of unamended parents are leaving to go to the world or other fellowships. Many. It's, It's not just a few, it's many. If you think back over the past ten years.
Now, do you remember? Do you remember me mentioning at the beginning of my class the road less less traveled is hard and difficult? Now, this is hard. When your son or daughter leaves our community for the world or for another fellowship, when you're placed out of fellowship with your own son and daughter, that's hard. And sometimes it's a long, it lasts a long time. Think about this. If we, if we leave our community, it's unlikely that they or we will ever return. If we also leave, it's unlikely, there's always exceptions, but it's unlikely that we are they will ever return. If we hold fast to what we believe, there is the possibility, it's just a possibility, but there is a possibility in that parable, the prodigal son, he returned. we will be able to say Gail get that get the biggest roast out of the freezer and I want mashed potatoes and I want a whole bunch of gravy and I want you to fix that special blueberry salad and I want his favorite cheesecake prepared Our son has come home. Now, if if we leave, that's not going to. There's there's no way that that can happen. But if we uh, if we hold fast to what we believe, there is the possibility, and it has happened before. We do have hope. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about a man. He doesn't, uh, he's not, he'll not be resurrected. And uh, I thought about not doing it, but there's an important lesson here. Uh, we have so many examples. Daniel, uh, David, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Peter, Paul. I mean, you can just go on and on. But there's a lesson here. 
The story of Hugh Glass ranks as one of the most remarkable stories of survival in American history, survival. Little is actually known about Glass. It, it was said that he was a former pirate who gave up his life at sea to the travel the West as a scout and a fur trapper. He is believed to have been born in Philadelphia around 1783. He had already been in the western wilderness for several years when he signed on for an expedition up the Missouri River in 1823 with the com company of William Ashley and Andrew Henry. The expedition used long boats similar to those used by Lewis and Clark 19 years earlier to ascend the Missouri as far as the Grand River near present-day Mobridge, South Dakota. There, Glass, along with a small group of men led by Henry, Henry started overland towards Yellowstone. At a point about 12 miles south of Lemon, South Dakota, Glass surprised a grizzly bear and her two cubs while scouting for the party. He was away from the rest of the group at the time, and the grizzly attacked him before he could fire his rifle. Using only his knife and bare hand, Glass wrestled the full-grown bear to the ground and killed it. But in the process, he was badly mauled and bitten. His companions, hearing his screams, arrived on the scene to see a bloody and badly maimed Glass barely alive and the bear laying on top of him. They uncovered Glass's mangled body. They bandaged his wounds. They bandaged his wounds the best they could, and they waited for him to die. The party was in a hurry to get to Yellowstone, so Henry asked for volunteers to stay until Glass was dead and then bury him. John Fitzgerald and Jim Bridger agreed and immediately began digging the grave. But after three days, Glass was still alive. Fitzgerald and Bridger began to panic as a band of hostile in Indians was seen approaching. The two men picked up Glass's rifle, his knife, and other equipment and dumped him into an open grave. They threw the bearskin over him and shoveled in a thin layer of dirt and leaves, leaving glass behind. Glass did not die. After an unknown time, he regained consciousness to a very grim situation. He was alone. Remember, now remember that. He was alone and unarmed in hostile territory. He had a broken leg and his wounds were festering. His scalp was torn away and his flesh on his back had been ripped away so that his rib bones were exposed. The nearest help was 200 miles away at Fort Kiowa. His only protection was the bearskin hide. Glass set his own broken leg and on September the 9th, 1823, 
began crawling south overland toward the Cheyenne River about 100 miles away. Fever and affection took their toll and frequently rendered him unconscious. Glass survived mostly on wild berries and roots. It took two months to crawl to the Cheyenne River. There he built a raft from a fallen tree and allowed the current to carry him downstream to the Missouri and on to Fort Kiowa. After he, regained his, after he regained his health, which took many months, Glass did set out to kill the two men who had left him for dead. He found Bridger at a fur trading post on the Yellowstone River, but didn't kill him because Bridger was only 18 years old. Glass later found Fitzgerald, but didn't kill him either. Now Glass eventually returned to the upper Missouri where he died in 1833 in a battle with Indians. Now, on our walk or a travel down the road less traveled, Have any of us ever had circumstances where it was difficult for us to walk? If this man could crawl a hundred miles to a river and build himself a raft, if we have to crawl, we ought to crawl. If we keep crawling, eventually we'll be able to stand again. Glass said that he was not going to let the situation that he was in defeat him. Brothers and sisters, let's don't let the situations that we get involved in defeat us. We have God's Word. We, have, uh, we can uh, pray to Him through His Son. We have uh, brothers and sisters to assist us. There's no situation that can defeat us. And there's just a few other things that I'd like to bring out uh, about this. <clears throat> Is there anything else we can learn from this that will help us on the road less traveled? I will be prepared by learning about life situations and how I should respond. I will be aware of my surroundings. I will be aware of my surroundings. We should ask ourselves and continually examine ourselves. Am I traveling the broad way or the road less traveled? Am I traveling the broad way or the road less traveled? I will carry whatever resources help me. I will carry whatever resources help me. And what helps us? It's God's Word. And that Word should be stored in our minds. Stored in our minds. 
It's of no use sitting in a book on a shelf. What about our individual faith? Do we leave it at the meeting hall after Sunday meetings? Do we leave it at home when we leave for work or play? I will realistically assess my capabilities before I put myself in any situation. I will realistically assess my capabilities before I put myself in any situation. Don't put yourself in a situation where it is likely that you're going to fail. Be careful where you go and what you do. I will respond with reasoned decisions. I will respond with reasoned decisions. And the last thing that I got from this, he refused to give up to save his mortal life. The man refused to give up. What about our spiritual life? We should set our man, our minds like flint. We should refuse to give up. Let's turn to Second Samuel. My mind doesn't fail me. <laughs> Second Samuel. I thought I'd almost forgot, but it's Second Samuel twenty two thirty one. As for God, his way is perfect. We need to keep that in our mind. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. We should always keep it with us. And look at that last phrase there. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him. He is a buckler to all them that trust in him.